Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Michael Jones. How are you doing, Michael? Yeah, good, thank you. Good to have you on as always. And Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera ragazzi. I am doing okay. Thanks, Sam. Great to have you on. Um, when I was looking through what sort of uh, order we should do it in, I didn't have a clue this weekend, to be honest, because we've had some great games. But we are going to start with the Rome derby, which was uh, possibly the pick of the games this weekend. Lazio came out 3-2 winners here, Michael. Perhaps a slight upset, actually, based on how the last couple of games have gone. Lazio not been in good form the last couple of weeks. But um, were they worthy winners for you in the end on, on Sunday, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the event, the Roma, sorry, the Roma argument will be that they had twice as many shots on target and twice as many shots overall. But I just thought Lazio had a much more effective game plan, and I'm sure we'll come on to Roma's shortcomings during the game. But I was really impressed with Lazio's game plan to counterattack Roma quite freely and really successfully. I thought Felipe Anderson was absolutely brilliant and he really looked like his himself during his first spell at the club he was sort of at the heart of every good thing Lazio did going forwards and yeah Roma certainly you know had made a good go of it and they played well at times and you know I think it says a lot we were talking about Strakosha in the last episode I thought Pepe Reina was forced into a number of brilliant saves um during the game and he really stood out for me but Overall, I'd say it was a really big win and deserved win for Lazio, who, yeah, implemented the game plan. And also, just on the final note, you were talking about the form. I think they'd gone, was it four games without a win before uh, this? Oh, yeah, four games without a win before the derby. And it's such a huge result for Sarri, because even though it's everyone thinks it's a long-term project, and I'm sure that is the plan at Lazio and the plan with Latita, and I'm sure it'd be quite patient with Sarri, Lazio have a really tough get- run of games coming up. So this result was massive um, to avoid any early pressure for him. Yeah, as, as you say, they've gone four games without a win in all competitions. Um, from, a, from a Roma perspective, Francesco, um, you know, Mourinho came out after the game, wasn't happy with some, some of the decisions in the game. I think, he, I think he felt one of Lazio's goals should have been chalked off. Um, do you think he has a point? Because I, I think on the flip side, it seemed that Roma's penalty was quite soft. So has has he got a leg to stand on or or, or not really for you? Uh, the thing for Mourinho, and I think it's the same for everyone who has lamented refereeing decisions and kind of VAR over the past couple of years, is that there seems to be a bit of inconsistency. So just before, when Lazio break to score the their um, second goal, uh, Roma have a shape for a penalty. There's like a push on Zaniolo. I don't really think it is a penalty. But if you then look at, say, the Fiorentina game this weekend, they do get a penalty for something which is very, very similar. Um, I think Mourinho is making out that the referee kind of decided the game. And I guess if you subscribe to the the idea that that was a penalty, it is a crucial moment. It probably does mean that Roma equalise instead of Lato going two up. But I think he he probably is exaggerating a bit for effect, um, and like you say, the 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 second the penalty that was given was pretty soft. So I don't really think I think the decisions were okay. Um, you know, you, I, I 
probably wouldn't have given either. And um, and yeah, I think I agree with Michael Latter deserved to win this game, and you know, it didn't the referee didn't really make too much of a difference. Yeah, I just want to stay with you, Francesco, just for a second, because there were there were some interesting in- incidents after the game. Uh, we had Sari with the eagle. I thought that was quite a nice sort of a light-hearted moment, and then there was um, uh, Zaniolo as he goes down the uh, you know goes da- goes down the stairs, um, clutching his private part, should we say, towards the Lazio fans. Um, what did you make of that? It's always a controversial derby, the Rome one. So, so what did you think of that incident? Yeah, I mean, let's start with the eagle. It's a beautiful bird. It's always nice to see that. Um, and it's good to see that Sadi, you know, is kind of buying into the Lazio culture. I think that's going to, you know, that's going to keep the Lazio fan sweet and on his side, as well as winning their derby, obviously. With the Zaniolo thing, um, yes, he kind of grabs his nuts and jostles them towards the, the Lazio fans in the stands. And uh, as he's going down the tunnel, there's a little bit of previous with him and the Lazio fans who kind of made fun of him when he had his serious injuries, uh, so, you know, inviting him to jump with them when they knew that he, he couldn't. I think also his mum has got involved with social, on social media with the Lazio fans. And so there's, there's kind of a history there. At the same, and and I, I guess you can understand why he might do something like that towards Lazio fans because they've had a go at him, they've had a go at his family. But it, it does feel to me like this is the kind of thing that Daniolo gets involved with when he doesn't need to, and it's not really helping him. Um, I think we are, well, you know, we've spoken about him before. I personally think that in terms of talent, he probably has the highest ceiling out of anyone in Serie A. He has really got a lot to offer. And this kind of thing uh, probably doesn't help him focus on his game and is not helping him get the most out of. Uh, you know, what should be a very, very successful career. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I just hope that he can stay focused on football and not get involved with these kinds of things too much. I mean, a little bit is okay, and the odd nut jostle is probably not the end of the world, but uh, he probably shouldn't make a habit of it. Yeah, it, it not not something you see every day, should we say, but... Uh, but... Yeah, you can you can understand why he was also wound up as well, though. But but a, a great game nonetheless on Sunday. I think these are two of maybe the most unpredictable sides in the league at the moment, um, and, and they really delivered. Um, another game that really delivered on Saturday was Inter Atalanta. Um, Michael, I think going into this game, probably Inter were, were favourites. They were at home. They've started the season slightly better than Atalanta, but. Again, over 40 shots in this game, I believe, um, ended 2-2. From, a, from an Inter perspective, we, we saw Handanovic coming in for quite a bit of criticism on, on, online. Um, I think Atalanta had a real tactic to sort of get as many shots off as possible. Maybe they're testing his reflexes out. I know you've sort of jumped to his defence a bit in the past. Are, are, you, are you still on his side or, or are you a little bit concerned that um, you know, perhaps he's making one or two more errors than he used to in the past. I don't disagree that he's not making more errors. And I think, yeah, Atalanta were shooting on site. I, I think that was partly due to Handanovic. I think it was also partly due to the players that they had. I think Malinowski has always been, if you want to define a shoot on site player, Roman Malinowski is your man. But um, yeah, I mean, one of my issues really with, the game from that perspective was that I just thought that, you know, if that was something that Atalanta were exploiting, which it looked like they were a little bit, 
Inter Milan just weren't the back three weren't closing them down at all, and I. And I think it's even harsh to just blame the back three. I don't think they had much protection, and that's partly due to the system, I think, under Inzaghi. It could be one of their undoings, but they didn't they have didn't much have protection much from the midfield. And every time you saw the ball get into a dangerous position, when you saw um, the two goals, was it two goals yet? Yeah, the one where he's parried it away, well, two times the ball's gone in the net anyway, and the other one, which has gone in off his hand, Um like I think both of them, the both the Atalanta players on both occasions have got loads of time to shoot. And it's also the case for Malinowski's first one, where once again there's no pressure on him, even though there's not really anything the goalkeeper can do there. I just think that it's you know, he, he's naturally going to be aging a little. He is aging and he's his flaws maybe he's not quite the keeper he once was, but I think he need to do a bit more to protect that, at least until they get to the next transfer market. Yeah, I, I wonder if there is a, a thought that perhaps in January Inter might look for a goalkeeper, but 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 maybe it's more likely to come next summer. I also saw that some Inter fans have put a banner up outside uh, outside uh, either the San Siro or the training ground in support of Hamdanovic. Um, on a more positive note for Inter, though, Nicolo Barella got another assist. I think he's got maybe five assists in the opening uh, five games. Um, so so absolutely flying as he was last year. With Lukaku departing in the summer, Francesco, do you feel Barella is now like the main man at Inter, perhaps? Um, when I saw this question in the agenda, I I thought of it quite a bit. And this, I, I don't know that he is. I think it's quite quite a difficult question to answer of, of who, who is the main man at Inter. And I think that's probably... A, a reflection of of what they've done over the summer and what Inzaghi is getting out of this team. I feel like last season, the way that Conte set them up really focused a lot on Lukaku and what he offered the team because of his hold-up play, because of his pace. Um, you know, they played a certain way and that really suited the way Lukaku played and it, he was an integral part of what Conte wanted to do. With Inzaghi, I don't feel that. I feel like they've added depth, they've added a bit more variety and... Uh, as a consequence, they're less reliant on on their best players. Um, I feel like, whilst Barella is, uh, to, to me, he's one of the best midfielders in Europe and he is a very important player for them. If he did have to miss, you know, a month of the season through injury or something, it wouldn't be as impactful as if Lukaku had had to miss a month last season. I think there are players there who can come in and do a job. And I think that's true across the team. You know, if, if Lautaro Martinez was missing for a month, it wouldn't be the end of the world. They've got players in like Sanchez, like Correa, who can come in and do a good job. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, testament to the fact that Inter have done, even though they've lost a couple of big players over the summer, but the way that Inzaghi is approaching the season and the way they've brought in players means that it's almost like they have more options this season and possibly a little bit more depth. I I would agree on the depth angle and especially with the forward line. I I would say with Barella, I do actually think he has in in the Atalanta game in particular. I mean, I thought that was the maybe the individual performance of the season by a player so far. I just thought that he did seem it did actually seem to be that a lot of their attacks were going through him. And I do think, whilst I agree with Francesco in the sense that you know now Lukaku's gone, Hakimi's gone, you know Eriksen not around at the moment not that Ericsson was necessarily such a key player last season but when when they are going forwards I do think there is a bit more of a shared dynamic in that front line but I do think that 
Barella has a really important role in that. And if anything, he's been given a bit more license to be an attacking player, which is maybe reflecting in his assist numbers. I think he's also in goal-creating actions he's leading as well. And I I, I don't think he, he's, he might not just be into Starman. I think he might be starting to become the league's star player as well. I'm really sort of that impressed with him at the moment. Yeah, it's a strange one because he got Serie A midfielder of the year last year. And yet sometimes I still think he's a little bit underrated. I don't know if that's me talking absolute gibberish, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel that when people think of Inter, they don't necessarily think of Barella straight away. Maybe there's some more high profile players in that Inter side, but I don't know if there's a better player in that Inter side. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Um from an Atalanta perspective, though, I'll, I'll come to you, Francesco. Was this quite a significant step forward for them? Like, it, it seemed like quite clearly maybe their best performance of the season after, you know, they've been getting some OK results, but it's been a bit stuttering their start. But this was much better, right? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think it was their best performance of the season. I think once they'd kind of recovered from going behind early, they they dominated certainly the second part of the first half and probably for the first hour, they were, they were definitely the better side, I'd say. <clears throat> I think having Darun back uh, alongside Freuler has made a big difference for them. I think they, I know that you're a fan of these guys, Sam, but I agree with you. I think they're probably the most underrated kind of midfield duo in the league. Um, and, and because of what they do in both phases, they cover so much ground, which makes them really difficult to play against, but they're also... Both of them, I think, underrated in possession. They they really use the ball well and they, they fit in with, with Gasperini's style of play really, really well. So having him back and having those two as kind of a central pivot really makes a big difference for them. And um, yeah, I'd, I've, I think it does feel, it felt significant. Even though they only drew the game, it feels like this. we saw the real Atalanta this weekend and it's something they can build on. And I... I definitely feel like they are very much in a race for the for the Champions League places again. And, you know, I expect them to kick on from here. Yeah, I, I think the interesting one with Darun sometimes is that um, he's, he's, he's quite popular on social media. And I think sometimes by him playing the clown, it can sometimes take away from how good a player he actually is. I don't know if you saw his... A uh, thing on Twitter the other day where he said he was going to sign shirts when they went into the club shop and, and no one turned up to buy one of his shirts. Um, if you haven't yeah, seen that, that, guys, uh, uh, who are listening, then then please give that a watch because it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, excellent player and, and much better from Atalanta this weekend. Um, we're going to move on to Juventus now. They, they picked up another win, another 3-2 win, Michael, um, against Sampdoria. It's one of those where they went a couple of goals ahead a couple of times and kept getting pegged back. So are they improving or are they still quite shaky for you at the moment? Uh, I'd say they're both. I'd, I'd say that they are they are still shaky, but they're definitely improving, especially going forwards. I thought in the first half, especially when before Dabala picked up the injury, which, you know, he's been a hot topic of discussion recently. Um, but... Yeah, I thought I thought they were really creative under him, and they, you know, the the goal, the first goal was taken brilliantly, and they could have had a second early on, and they looked quite free flowing. The players looked like they were really enjoying themselves. So I think going forwards, there's some really positive signs. Um, defensively, I think there's been marginal improvements. My big concern 
with Juventus at the moment, which Allegri needs to fix, especially when they come up against bigger teams, is that you know he's quite. He seems to be quite happy, maybe from the AC Milan game. Be, I'm really intrigued to see what their approach is to the next big game because if they're going to continue to sit back against these big teams and try and play off crosses, you know, defending crosses, they're not actually defending crosses that well at the moment. And Yoshida was the latest player to get on the score sheet from uh, a cross. So I, I do wonder whether that's something they're going to continue doing because I think that's a real weakness in the system at the moment. I think the second goal was just really well worked and sometimes you just need to give the opponents credit there, Kandreva's goal. But yeah, generally I'm, I'm quite, I'm feeling a lot more positive about Juventus. The, the other thing I'd say about their defence is I feel like Allegri needs to make a decision about who his starting centre-backs are. Um, he's obviously got three quite high-profile defenders there in Chiellini, Bonucci and De Ligt. And I guess after the Euros they had, it feels like you, can, you, you might not be able to drop Bonucci or, or Chiellini or they, they should play a big part in the season. But I think the future for Juve is definitely delict, and it's probably going to help them a lot defensively if if Allegri makes a decision and kind of plays a settled back four consistently for you know a few games in a row. I think that would really help them. So, yeah, he probably needs to do that to to help Juve kind of <clears throat> steady themselves. Having said that, I think that this this uh, weekend they they just got nervous because they've been conceding so many goals recently. They they got nervous and it got into their heads a bit. But yeah, having a, a settled kind of central defensive partnership, a little bit like we saw with Inter last year, once they got settled with that defensive three, they became much more solid defensively. That's probably what you will then need to do this this time around. Yeah, with De Ligt, I've seen that he's been linked to, I think, with Chelsea, actually. And, um, you know, as you say, Benucci and Chiellini, two excellent defenders as they've proved across their career, but they're both, you know, into their... In, well into their 30s now, into their second half of their 30s. So they're not really the long-term solution, you wouldn't say. So quite important that they, collect, that they keep delict on board. Just one more thing I want to touch on with Juve, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, Michael, um, with Dybala. There's this big thing about, it, it looks like he's going to get this new contract at Juve, but... Are they making him? Are they making the right decision in offering him that? Do you feel, given that he's had these injury concerns, he went off with another injury on the weekend, and he's also been quite inconsistent the last two or three years. You know, he was MVP what twelve months ago, but then not great last season. Yeah, I mean, the, there's there's obvious risks, like what you just said, basically when discussing. Dybala, I, I do think it's the right decision ultimately though. I think he's such a valuable asset to them. I don't think, I think, you know, when you look at his inconsistency, yeah, he's not always, he has struggled for consistency during his time at Juventus, even though he's had quite a few good seasons. He's also dropped off during periods, but I think a lot of players at Juventus, you know, Alexandro, the centre-backs, a lot of players have really struggled in the last couple of years at Juventus and with Dybala I mean I thought it was particularly on show during that game I thought it was at the heart of every good thing they did I thought in the game against Malmo I thought he was um, really impressive in that as well and that was a really crucial game for Juventus so to start turning things around and he, he has he has something that no no other Juventus player has really even Chiesa I think he's just got that creativity and that 
eye for a pass and spectacular that nobody else does. And I think you do have to protect that. I, I agree with Michael, what he's just saying there about how Dybala's really comes to the fore, uh, or he was starting to come to the fore this season. That's why it's such a big shame that he's he's got injured and looks like he's going to be out for a, for a few games. Because I do feel like he is <clears throat> set up to be kind of Juventus's technical leader. Um, he he is that kind of player. And, and I think he with, with Ronaldo being gone this season, it does look like he's going to play a more central role. The issue with his... Uh, contract renewal is the fact that he wants quite a bit of money. I think originally he wanted kind of 50 million euros a year. And for a player who has missed quite a bit of the last season and has, you know, he's already picked up an injury this season, it feels like a lot of money to spend on someone who's not going to guarantee you that he's going to be a central player in, in most of your games. Um, it's funny with Dybala because I think he's been set up to kind of take over at Juventus, become their leader for, for a long time. And, and when Ronaldo arrived, that all kind of, I don't know if they were really expecting Ronaldo to arrive. And when he did arrive, he kind of got pushed to the side a little bit. So it is interesting. I, I'm not sure that he is going to renew, partly because I'm not sure that, that Juve want to spend that much. So it's, it's whether they can come to an agreement on the money because... I also think there's a chance that other teams possibly might be prepared to pay, pay him more. And if that is the situation, then a little bit like Don Aroma this season, there's always a chance that, that he can leave. One that seems to be going a bit sort of backwards and forwards with Dybala, isn't it? I mean, I, I think latest reports are that it's looking more likely than not that he will um, sign a new deal. But as you say, it there's no guarantee. So we'll have to see how that one plays out. Um, so plenty of question marks still over Juve, but not many question marks um, over Napoli right now. Uh, are there, Michael? They, they've had an excellent week, 10 goals uh, and none conceded in their last three matches. Um, is it too early to be getting really excited um, after six games of the season? Or, you know, that they look the real deal, don't they? Yeah, I, I think they do look the real deal. And I kind of want them to be the real deal as well. I really like the look of this team. So the only reason why I think they might not be, uh, the main reason I think they might not be is because it just feels a bit too good to be true in a sense. Where, you know, there's not much too much logic to that. My, my, my only other concern is maybe depth. Again, I think that's something that they, the starting lineup was exceptionally strong. And whilst I think they've got good depth in midfield, I think in the final third striking position in that kind of number 10 role, if Zielinski or Insigne, or, you know, not that Insigne played, but in that kind of area of the pitch, I do think there's a bit of concern. We have to see kind of what Jez Mertens is going to be like this season but yeah generally I'm really excited I know I've said it before on the podcast I think the addition of Van Giesa just seems to be looking better week by week he's been sort of at the heart of everything they've done and I think him playing in a better side than the likes of with all due respect to Fulham and even Real, I think we're just seeing that he actually has a lot to offer going forwards as well from deep which is really helping him and I guess that final part of the jigsaw this season is Simeon's getting on the score sheet now. It's now six and six when he struggled a bit in the opening couple of games of the season. And he's he's not finding the target every time he shoots. He's not quite at that level of um, clin clinicalness for Napoli, but he's, uh, he's, he's certainly starting to look a lot better and he made Godin look as old as he is at the weekend. 
Yeah, um, I, I was just going to ask you, Francesca, actually, with Ozzy, man, I, I know that we, we've been waxing lyrical about him for a few weeks now. And one of my questions that I was, I was just thinking was, you know, Serie A is known for having some great strikers over the years. Does he remind you of anyone with sort of the skill set that he possesses? Or, or do you think he really is, you know, quite a unique talent coming on the scene? I thought about it for a long time. Who does who does he remind you of? And I struggled to come up with anyone. For, for a little while, I was thinking maybe a bit Van Basten. And I say that because he's he's quite big. He's he's almost looks like he should be lanky, but he he isn't. He's he's also kind of a graceful mover. He seems very in control of what he's doing. He's not that kind of you know. Sometimes with, when you get those tall players, they look a bit untidy. But you don't get that with Aussie man. He looks you know he's he really glides across the pitch. And he's, I, I guess he's similar in style to Van Basten in that he is quite a complete striker. I, I've been really impressed with the start. I, I mean, we, we knew last season that he, he'd probably get goals and he's, he's quick. Um, but I've been extremely impressed with his hold-up play this season. I think he's been, considering he's playing up front on his own, the amount of time the, the, the ball gets played up to him and he's able to hold on and, and, and start moves off is, is really impressed me. So, yeah, I, I mean, he's different to Van Basten, but if, if you make me pick someone from kind of Serie A's past, there, there are similarities there, I think. Well, if he lives up to Van Basten's record, that, that would be uh, that would be quality. Uh, I, know, I know there's a lot of people rooting for him because I, I think he's a very popular player, as you meant. Um, one other thing I want to touch on with Napoli, they got their 2-0 win against Cagliari this weekend, of course, um, and they've kept three consecutive clean sheets with uh, with Ramani at the back. Um, he came from Verona, you know, sort of 12 months ago, maybe just over. Quiet first season because it seemed the established partnership was probably Manolas and Koulibaly and, and maybe Maximovic was that third centre-back. But now uh, Rahmani seems to really developed into Koulibaly's partner. So is he finally delivering on, delivering on that potential that we saw at Verona, do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think so. He was exceptional during that season and it was his debut against Cagliari, which is kind of symbolic because that was a game where it almost seemed like he stamped his authority. He got a goal as well in that game. I think I'm right in saying. I think he got a goal in that victory over Cagliari. But yeah, I mean, Manolas is a bit of a weird one. I think when... Napoli first signed him from Roma. It was, what, a year after their Champions League run. And I honestly thought that that manolas Koulibaly centre-back partnership would be maybe the best in Europe. I, I rated it that highly. I rate Koulibaly that highly, and I really rate Manolas. But it's just, I don't know if it's maybe because of the management they've had during that time, but they've maybe just never been able to uh, fully get those two playing to their best. And I think Romani's a really good player and it's great to see him in that team. But I was kind of hoping that this season we would see those two really uh, thrive in what would be a really great centre-back partnership. But yeah, nevertheless, it's it's, it's not been the sort of easiest route to this Napoli first team for Romani. So uh, full credit to him. Yeah, seems to have really settled settled in now in Naples. Um, but I guess one reason that we shouldn't get overly excited with Napoli is that they're not actually that far clear at the moment because there's also been some other sides that have had a really good start to the season. And, and in second place right now is is Milan, who have, uh, who have won five of their first six games and got another win this weekend against Spezia, 2-1. Again, Pioli rotated the side quite cleverly. And, and one player that we saw come in was, was Daniel Maldini. Um, the Maldini name, I, I think one or two of us have heard it before, perhaps. Um, 
Now he plays it in, in an attacking midfield position uh, and, and got a goal. We haven't seen too much from him yet, Francesco. But from what you have seen, do you like what you see? Do you think do you think he's got a, a you know a pretty decent future at Milan? Yeah, I mean, like you, I haven't seen him play that much, but I do like what I've seen. And I think the fact that Pioli trusts him enough to start him in a Serie A game, which realistically Milan needed to win. I mean, um, you know, away at Spezia, it's a game, if you want to qualify for the Champions League this season, those are the kind of games you need to win. And the fact that he's starting him in that kind of um, match really is testament to, to what he thinks of him. I also think that, apart from the fact that of the history with Milan and his dad and his grandfather both played for Milan, He's in the right place because Pioli has showed over the last two years that he is very happy to, you know, to blood blood young players. He's he hasn't got any problem with playing young players. They, you know, they've got the youngest team set out by a distance. Um, and the chances are that over the course of the season, he's probably going to get other opportunities. So yeah, I, I like what I've seen from him. And uh, you know, it's probably not the last we'll see of him this season. And with Brahim Diaz, uh, you know, shining as well. Do you think that this is sort of vindication that Milan made the right decision to allow Chalanolu to move on this summer? Um, I would say that um, so far, uh, Brian Diaz has been arguably their best player. Another important goal. It's the third already this season. And I think that it it kind of is vindication. Um, not so much because... Chananoglu is not good and he's not going to do th- good things at Inter. I think he, he can do that. But more because uh, I feel like Brahim Diaz is more suited to purely st- style of play. I think he he really fits that kind of position behind the centre forward really well. And yeah, we've seen how good he's been so far this season. So they must be feeling pretty good about that decision. Seems to be working out perfectly well so far. Um got a couple more high scoring games to move on to now we'll start with Genoa Verona um three all this one Michael I, I don't think anyone had a clue which way this was going right until the final whistle blew um the standout moment from this game was Mattia Destro scoring a chip with a water bottle in his hand have you, have you ever seen anything quite like that before no and like I must admit I only watched the highlights of this game and I'd heard about the incident before. So when it was, when Destro scored his first goal, I was like, oh, it must be this one because it's just come from a set piece. But then to realize it was actually coming from the third goal where he's actually picked up the ball from deep, taking, the, taking it on a mazy run and then dinked it over the keeper. Or it just seems so counterintuitive to be holding a water bottle for that amount of time. Yet his first instinct when he actually does score is to launch it in the air. It's like he knew what he was doing the whole time, which I somehow don't quite believe. But it, yeah, I, I, I can't really get my head around it, but I think that's the beauty of it really, isn't it? I, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, definitely not seen anything like that before. Just on Destro, um, I definitely think he should be getting a call-up for Italy. Um, I think he he had a great season last season. It's a position where other players haven't really done the business. And he, you know, he started well again this season. He scored a couple of great goals. I mean, the goal, apart from the fact that he was holding a water bottle, um, <laughs> it was a really nice goal. Um, and he's he, ha- he is the kind of player who I think from a from a technical point of view, 
could could work well in, in Italy's attack. So I really hope that Mancini calls him up and, and gives him a chance. Maybe it hurts him slightly that he plays for a side like Genoa and not one of the top sides. But as you say, if he keeps playing like that, the only thing I can tr- sort of remember um, in terms of, it's not too similar, but in terms of someone having an obstacle, let's say, in their way. Um, I remember there was a La Liga match a few years back. Uh, it was El Clasico. And Messi got a cut in his mouth and played with a tissue in his mouth for about five minutes. And I remember tweeting that he was the best player on the pitch, despite not really being able to breathe, it looks like. Um, <laughs> so so I thought that was quite humorous at the time. But um there you go. Yeah, water bottles in hand. That's a new way to go. Um, we then had Empoli beating Bologna 4-2. And I'll come to you on this one, Francesco, because I know that you find Bologna a bit of a strange side, I think we can say. Um, we, we were speaking about them last week when they lost to Inter and you were saying how their couple of clean sheets recently were, were the anomaly. And that sort of proved to be the case, hasn't it? Because... You know, what What can they do about this in terms of conceding goals? Is it a personnel issue or should uh, Mihailovic maybe change his system to make them a bit more defensively, uh, you know, t- tighten up defensively at the back? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, uh, I'm, this risk is quite worrying. Um, you know, I joked last week that the it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to be conceding four goals. That that was kind of part of the course. But I didn't expect teams like Empoli to be to be scoring four goals against them. But and I don't know what man what um, Mihailovic can really do to change it, or if he really has what it takes to change it. Um, it feels like they've been conceding goals like this for ages, you know, for years. And I, I feel like they they need to be careful. They they've got a decent squads and they certainly going forwards they've got some really good players but um a lot of the team you know the teams that have come up from Serie B are probably doing a bit better than we expected teams that I thought would struggle like Genoa and Udinese have also started the season quite well so I think Bologna need to be careful or they're going to end up in a you know in a relegation battle it doesn't seem that long ago that they got that nil-nil draw against Atalanta and we thought oh they're, they're looking they're looking okay this season um but it really has sort of fallen apart the last two or three games for them. So, as, as you say, not looking great. Uh, whilst for Empoli, you know, back-to-back wins. Michael, is it safe to say that they're the best promoted side that's come up this season and, and you know, have a pretty decent chance of staying up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, you know, with Dionisi leaving in the summer, I think it was, it was there was a bit of concern over them coming up and how they would fare. But their recruitment seems to be quite good I've been I think I've said before I've been impressing Nico Haas in the midfield I think he almost does a bit of a Doreen job that like what Doreen does for Atalanta Nico Haas does for Empoli and I think they've got some really good players I mean it's a testament to their strength and depth and I know Catroni's not exactly been um, you know a, a marksman let's say in the last few years but he's um, he was kind of brought in initially as like one of the main focal points of their attack and he's already been put onto the bench in light of Pinamonte um who who's start who could really thrive during this line. But yeah, overall I've been quite impressed with Empoli, of course, back to back wins now. And I think that they will, you know, it might get to the point soon where they won't even be worrying about relegation, but very early days. That might be the most premature thing I've said on this podcast so far. <laughs> 
And so you, you mentioned Udinese have had, had an OK start so far, uh, Francesco. Um, they, they suffered a narrow defeat this weekend against Fiorentina, 1-0. You've already sort of mentioned how you thought it was perhaps a, a little bit of a soft penalty in this game. Um, do, do you think Udinese have shown any signs at all of missing Paul and Musso yet? Or, or have they coped pretty well um, compared to what perhaps you thought they might? I think they they are doing okay. Um, I was quite impressed with um, Delafeo this weekend. I think he probably deserved to score. Um, he created lots of chances, and considering they they lost, you know, I think their best two players by distance from last uh, season. They have started okay, and I think they're going to be okay. Probably a similar kind of finish to to the last campaign. Yeah, Fiorentina back to winning ways after that into defeat. So it's still a very positive start to the season for Laviola. Um, last game uh, of the weekend, because we're, we're doing this Monday. I'm aware that there's a game uh, Monday night, Venezia, Torino, but we're going to we're gonna have to miss that one this week. Um, but Sassuolo back to winning ways, beating Salonitana 1-0. I guess there's one trail of thought that says, oh, it's only Salonitana, Michael, but it was an important win for them. Do you think the Sassuolo can perhaps start to gain a bit of momentum now? Because I remember after the Roma game a couple of weeks ago, we were quite positive about them, but then they lost to Torino and Atalanta and it was starting to look a bit dodgy for them. Yeah, I think there's been gradual improvement to Sassuolo, I think. Well, if you since the Roma game, because I think they were really poor against Torino. Atalanta was a bit more of a competitive game, although I still thought they're rightly on the losing side. And then, yeah, obviously getting back to winning ways against Salah and Natana was good. Um, I, I do have real concerns. One of the things I want to see Sassuolo do is use the system that Dionisi used at Empoli. But I think this is his problem as a coach. Is he? I think he got them promoted with a 4-3-1-2. And the question is, would that even work at Sassuolo, given you've got Boga and... Berardi, who are so important to the way they play. I think there is a bit of a problem there and he's going to have to find a way of getting around it. On the flip side to that, I think one of the really exciting things that we've yet to see really blossom is that partnership of Raspadori and Skamaka. I think once they get firing, there'll be something um, we'll, we can be more excited about as well. I just want to say on a side note as well, um, I, I've been, I started to get, I know Salernitana kind of been the whipping boys so far in Serie A but I think there are signs that they're improving as well I, I was quite impressed I was really impressed with them against Atalanta they got the first point midweek and again they went too bad against Sassuolo and I really hope for their sake that they do get a victory soon because it seems like you know they're, they're, they're getting into some goal scoring positions maybe just lacking a bit of quality Yeah I mean I've been at a couple of sort of 4-0 defeats at one point it was looking quite you know, quite bad for them. But as you say, they've had a couple of narrow defeats recently and that draw against Verona last week. So so certainly on the up, you'd say, for Salonitana. Uh, and that, that wraps up the weekend's action. We're now going to look ahead to uh, midweek because, of course, Champions League and Europa League and Europa League Conference coming up. Um, first of all, on Tuesday, Francesco, we've got Inter travelling to play Shakhtar Donetsk. And then we've got Milan hosting Atletico Madrid to two pretty uh, interesting games coming up there. How, how do you sort of see those two playing out? Um, I think this is a big game for Inter. Uh, this is a group they should be getting out of. 
but they they weren't able to score in 180 minutes of football against Shakhtar last season, and that cost them their European place. Uh, the season before, they beat them 5-0, so they have a history against this side. It, even though Inter have not had a, a perfect start to the, to the season and they're four points off of Napoli, I still feel, and, and they lost their opening Champions League game, I still feel like there is a lot of positivity about them at the moment. Um, you know, they, they're the top scorers in the league. I think they've got... Uh, the, 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 I think they're the top scorers in all top five European leagues so they've had more goal scorers than anyone else in the top five European leagues so they are finding ways to score um, and yeah I, I feel good about this game it's a game they should win but it is a game that they, they need to win because Shakhtar are probably the team that they need to, to beat to, to get out of the group and it is about time that I think this is their, their fourth Champions League campaign in a row, and they've yet to get into the last 16 and those previous years. So, and they are, you know, they're, they're a big enough club with a strong enough team to be to be aiming for that kind of, uh, you know, to get out of these Champions League groups. So, yeah, it's a big game, but I I expect them to win. I think uh, with Milan, I think they've got a much tougher game. It is at home, and you know, again, there's enthusiasm about there's enthusiasm about Milan at the moment. They're playing well. Purely rested quite a few players this weekend. I expect, you know, they'll all be back uh, for the Atletico game. And Atletico Madrid, whilst they're doing okay in Spain, they've not had the best start. They just came off a defeat this weekend. So um, it feels like this is a chance for Milan. I think they've got the, they're in the toughest group and I, I don't expect them to get out of it. But they, you know, this, this feels like an opportunity. And if they can win, then, you know, they give themselves a chance. Yeah, and of course, Atletico and Porto drew on the opening match day. So if Milan do win this game, it perhaps opens up the group quite nicely for them going into that Porto doubleheader, especially as well. Moving on to Wednesday, Michael, we have um, we have Juventus hosting Chelsea and we have Atalanta hosting Young Boys. Um, I guess for, for Atalanta, this is a must-win game, right? For, for for Juventus, less so after they got that opening day victory. Do you think they can test Chelsea, who, of course, are the, are the defending champions? Or do you expect a really tough game for Juve, um, especially considering how they've started the season? Yeah, I, I, I expect it to be a really tough game for Juventus in the sense that, you know, Okay, Chelsea weren't great in that loss to Manchester City at the weekend, but they've been pretty flawless since Thomas Tuchel's come in and won the Champions League, been one of the best teams in Europe. But I think that also plays into Juventus' hands a bit. I think there's been so much pressure on Massimiliano Allegri since he's returned to Juventus. They've been under so much pressure in the last few years. There's not been that many games, even with the way they've been playing at times, where they've not gone into a game or they've gone into a game as complete underdogs, really. And I think they will, even at home, I think they'll go into this game as underdogs. And I think they might just relish that that tag, really. And I I, I hope they give them a good game. I, th- I think Chelsea maybe, like said, they, they maybe showed flaws against Manchester City that Juventus will hope to exploit, especially with the likes of Chiesa, who, if he can run against the likes of test the likes of Rudiger in a one-on-one situation it could be quite or Thiago Silva more so could be really exciting um and then yeah I guess the other thing is just like you said about Atalanta must win game but I think this is a real potential banana skin for them young boys of course beat Manchester United so shouldn't be under 
underrated, but I still feel like they could easily be done so by any free team, you know, all the other free teams in the group. And I think Atalanta absolutely have to win this, but they've got to approach their opponents with respect because it's a really, you know, they're, they're a really good team, this young boys team. Yeah, I think whenever there's a group of four and it, it tends to be like this three pretty, you know, well-known sides and then one lesser-known side, sometimes the team that's lesser-known are completely written off and then they, you know, really surprise some teams. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking back to even like the Euros this summer when you had France and Germany and who else was in that group? France, Germany and... Portugal. Portugal. Portugal, you're right. And then Hungary, actually, I think we're only behind for about eight minutes in their games or something and they really give a good account of themselves. So, yeah, young boys, not to not to be underestimated. Uh, moving on to Thursday, we then have the Europa League uh, and it's a bit of a Moscow affair for the Serie A sides. Um, we have Lazio hosting Locomotive Moscow and Napoli against Spartak Moscow. Uh, Francesco, neither of the Serie A sides in the Europa League got wins in those opening games, but these represent pretty good opportunities for them to for them to write that uh, in the second round of games. Yeah, I think um, that for Lazio is already quite a big match because um, they lost the opening day game against Galatasaray, and they are. I'd say that their group is tougher. Um, um, I think they they are good enough to get out of it. It's just whether you know the other teams are, are tidy and they they struggled in their first game. So I think it's already on that game uh, with Napoli. I feel like even though they didn't win their first game against Leicester, it was quite a good point away against a decent side. Uh, they also played quite well, and the fact that they were two goals down um, and managed to to come away with a draw. You know, it felt like a still felt like a positive experience for them. Um, I I hope that, and it seems based on the way that Spalletti reacted to Napoli's goals in that Leicester game, it seems like they they want to take this competition seriously. And I hope that their plan is to try and get this group done early, so they can rest players later on and not start resting players now. Um, I think um, you know they've obviously. Uh, they, they, they have some options off the bench and there's probably a temptation there to rest quite a few players, but I hope that they play a strong team and, and get the job done early because it is a group that they should be getting out of. Yeah, I'm interested to see what sort of team he puts out, actually, because as you say, over the last sort of week, Napoli have played three games and I think he's only made sort of one or two changes in each of those games. So we'll see if more of the fringe players get a go on Thursday. Um, and of course, the other game on Thursday in the Europa Conference League is Roma. They're playing Zoya Luhansk. Um, we sort of saw in the, in the first round of games that Roma are taking this competition pretty seriously, aren't they, Michael? Um do you expect another fairly comfortable win? I, I guess it's quite an important game for Roma to try and get some momentum going after the Rome derby. Yeah, I agree. My only concern really is that I think Roma are overwhelming favourites for this game. I'd, I'd probably say this is their toughest group game, though. I know Zoria Luhansk have kind of been, I don't know much about them, but they've been up there and about in the Ukrainian league in the last few years. And you know, just with it being away as well, maybe Roma, if they're going to drop points at any point during the group, it's end. But generally, I'm quite confident. It's a massive opportunity for Roma to just build some confidence. And I think that's why Mourinho, even though Roma are so superior to their teams in terms of their playing personnel, their team, you know, financial power and stuff, I think it is a really good thing to be doing to be taking this competition seriously because 
it really gives them the chance to build momentum going back into Serie A, uh, especially coming off the back of a derby defeat as well. So, yeah, hats off to Mourinho for doing that, and hopefully they'll they don't really have any encounters or injuries from the trip to Ukraine. Yeah, certainly hope so. Um, looking forward to this midweek. Some, some really good, really good games involving the Serie A sides. Um, and then, of course, it's the final week of um, of, of Serie A action before before the international break. So I look forward to catching up with you uh, to talk through those games next week, guys. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll speak to you again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>